0: In today's episode of the ESG Beat, we will have a conversation with Professor Bob Eccles. Bob is currently a visiting professor of management practice at the University of Oxford Said School of Business. Bob was previously professor of management practice at Harvard Business School. Bob has been on the forefront of so many ESG innovations. He is a founding chairman of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB, and one of the founders of the International Integrated Reporting Council, or IIRC. Bob is the world's leading scholar on integrated reporting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bob.
1: Thanks, Amelia, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with you today.
0: So in this episode of the ESGB, I'd like to introduce the article that you just co-authored with Leo Strong and Tim Humans entitled, Three Ways to Put Your Corporate Purpose into Action. But before we get to that article, which I love, by the way, let's remind our audience of the Business Roundtable's recent statement on corporate purpose. What did the Business Roundtable recently do?
1: So on August 19th and 2019, the Business Roundtable came out with their much ballyhooed statement of the purpose of a corporation, which was signed by 181 CEOs. And I'd love to know how many of them checked with their boards. Um, so it was like a big deal in some ways and so far no deal in others, uh, what they came out of, they said, look, basically, you know, there's other stakeholders that matter and they contrasted it with the white paper they had on corporate governance from 1997. So, you know, 22 years in the past, it was unabashed shareholder primacy. And so to their credit, they came out and they said, no, look, we need to take a longer term view and employees and communities and customers and suppliers matter as well as shareholders. So in some ways, it's like a major breakthrough because without using the term stakeholder capitalism, you know, they were embracing it. So I was pleased to see that and I didn't know that it was going on and we can talk more later about the work that Tim and I were doing, um, where it's kind of um, a no deal to me right now is that the logical follow on, since they basically agreed that fiduciary duty is not a barrier to articulating purpose that goes beyond, you know, shareholder primacy, um, it would seem like a logical and fairly small step for the signees, the signatories of this, you know, BRT statement, to publish company-specific statements of their own. And to date, not a single one has. And we've had conversations with them and other conversations. And so, you know, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until the anniversary of August nineteenth, twenty twenty, and if not a single one of one hundred and eighty-one companies that have been beating their chest and taking an ad in the Wall Street Journal about the statement of the purpose of the corporation haven't had their board of directors publish a company-specific statement of purpose, then I'm gonna be even more cynical than I am right now, as you can tell.
0: So the Business Roundtable statement was certainly welcome, but we haven't seen the Business Roundtable really operationalizing the statement.
1: Not not in my terms. I mean, they they probably say they are, but by, by my standard that I want a board level Statement of Purpose, the work that Tim Yeomans and I have been doing, they haven't.
0: So tell me a little bit more about the work that you and Tim have been doing for years on the Statement of Purpose campaign.
1: So the idea goes back quite a few years now, 2013, 2014. I was working on my second book on integrated reporting. Uh, I was working with Tim Yeomans, who was a research fellow at Harvard Business School at the time. He's now with uh, Hermes Equity Ownership Services lead for the Americas and we came out in the chapter on materiality with an idea that we were calling statement of significant audiences and materiality which is technically accurate but not particularly euphonious. And the basic notion was that for companies to report they need to determine what's material that depends upon what stakeholders they think are important in the time frames. And if you only think short term investors are important then all the CSG stuff doesn't matter. So we began talking to people about this idea. And everyone said, it's interesting, but the lawyers will never let you do it. Your people, Amelia, the lawyers will never let you do it. We've had this conversation. And it's like, well. (laughs) And
0: was was that true? Did the lawyers not let you do it?
1: Well, you know, the lawyers are telling their companies not to do it. But, you know, the lawyers are basically, you know, hiding behind ideology, not company law, as you would know better than me. So, you know, we met. Um. Uh, You know well, we started with this idea that we were going to get um, You know kind of memos on fiduciary duty and we got them for all G20 countries and 14 others And it's pretty clear, you know company law the duty is to the corporation It's a little more nuanced in the u.s. The corporation shareholders. So there's no legal reasons that companies can't do it So we were pushing the rock uphill for a long time and then the world started to change, you know, three years ago, whenever Larry had his first, you know, letter on social purpose. And then he kind of talked about it again. you now, you know, the purpose, profits come after purpose. Colin Mayer wrote his wonderful book, Prosperity, which is kind of, I think it was the, the intellectual foundation for this.
0: And when you say Larry, you're referring to Larry Fink's the uh, letters, the, the
1: the letter that he sends to CEOs. And I think the first one was 2018, maybe talking about purpose. So like, okay, are we supposed to give a profits? So what he wants to do? Then he kind of clarified it. And then his last letter, it was more on, SAS being climate change. But with that, so this is good, right? You've got the world's largest asset manager, seven trillion dollars probably in assets now, and then the Business Roundtable, out of the blue, as I said, came out with this and so i was kind of hopeful that this tim and i were like you know pushing a rock uphill we were like sisyphus or don quixote tilting and windmills whichever metaphor you want to use and um but still you know no love there's one company one u.s company it's philip morris international which you know about from our conference so i'm thinking okay here is a u.s company traded on the new york stock exchange Nobody has a bigger litigation target on their back than a tobacco company. So this litigation, you know, argument I'd get from people is not compelling. And they've got a three-page statement of purpose in their 2020 proxy statement, filed with the SEC, individually signed by every member of the board of directors. And you don't get much more official in the United States, in the litigious United States, in the proxy statement. So I'm like, okay, if Philip Morris International can publish a statement of purpose, and they're not even a member of the BRT, Then everybody else should. There's another very interesting example, um, different industry, not as controversial. There's a private equity firm called EQT, which I've gotten to know well in Sweden. And they published a statement of purpose in their 2019 annual report that came out in April. And then there's um, a Belgian insurance company called AGS that sort of Change their corporate governance code and their articles of incorporation to talk about purpose. So what this shows is it can be done. We've got a U.S. tobacco company. We've got a Swedish private equity firm. We've got a Belgian insurance company. So what Tim and I are trying to do in collaborations with you and a bunch of other people is to get eight or 10 companies to publish a statement of purpose in different countries, different industries, kind of get the ball rolling, show that nobody died, it was actually good for you, and have it become just um, a thing that companies do. We don't think it requires regulation. The dear shareholder letter is not required anywhere. Every company does it. So we just want this to become customary practice. The goal is that by 2025, every listed company publishes a statement of purpose and private companies are welcome to as well. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: So that's the first thing that you identify in your article, that companies have to articulate and be clear about the purpose, and then they have to issue a statement of purpose. And this piece is very important. The board of directors must publish this statement. Yep. Why, why is that important to you? Why can't it be in the CEO letter? I mean, we have purpose splashed you know, on sustainability reports. We have it on websites. Why do we need it in another place being signed by the board of directors.
1: Well, the, it's a good question. It's the central question. The answer is that the board is the body that's got the highest level of accountability for the corporation. You know, their fiduciary duty, as I was saying before, is to the corporation. Or depending upon, you know, the nuances of company law, the corporation, the shareholders, not a website or sustainability report. Nobody's accountable for that. I mean, who do you go to to say, you know, you're accomplishing your purpose or not? Can't the CEO doesn't speak with the corporation. He works for the corporation, right? So that's why it has to be the board. And, and really, it forces discipline. It's like, what do you think this company is about? What is the role of this corporation in society? And in COVID-19, I mean, that's the central question that's being asked. What do we want companies to do? Furlough all their people like Disney did and keep paying out dividends and doing stock buybacks and whatever, or not? So I don't think the corporate community conduct this. So it really starts, and it's look, it's it's I think it's catalytic, but it's not a silver bullet because even if the board publishes a statement and, you know, investors don't engage with them and stakeholders don't engage with them and they don't talk about what they're doing to accomplish purpose, it's not going to mean much. That's why the kind of second argument that we make is integrated reporting. So that's the mechanism to describe what it is that you're doing to accomplish your purpose. And, and obviously, my work started with integrated reporting a long time ago, it must be more years ago than I care to think of in maybe, you know, 10 years or something. Um, And it was kind of in the work on integrated reporting that led to statement of purpose. So in their article, we say the three ways you talked about statement of purpose, make sure you've got your ducks in order to be able to do integrated reporting, you've identified the material issues, you kind of figure out how you want to use SAS, BGRI, impact management projects, doing great work, kind of pull all this stuff together and, um, you know, have a decent integrated report. Not like a lot of the ones I see that look like some cartoon book. Where they've got you know lots of little pictures and you know cutesy little things and colors and stuff and they don't really tell you anything. You need numbers. You need targets. I mean, to PMI's credit, you know, in their sustainability report, they're giving you targets for 2025 about how they're going to reduce cigarettes and blah blah blah. Um, and then when we were working on this paper, Tim and I got to know Leo Strine, who the legal community would know is like the bomb. So he was the chief justice of the Delaware Supreme Court and the maven on corporate governance in this country. So got to know him and he retired and we were chatting about all this. And then he joined us in this piece. And I think what Leo brought in was really the, it's like the the punchline, right? So you start with a statement of purpose. Okay. Everybody's on board, integrated reporting. But if you really, really mean it, then you become a Delaware public benefit corporation, or if you want to, you know, become a public benefit corporation in some other state, and I know there's a lot of work in California, everybody, excuse McCormick did. And the nuances is this I can't talk about, but the way we t- talk about it in the article, it's a nice phrase we got from Leo, is that, you know, the C-Corp, there's nothing to prevent a C-Corp from paying attention to other stakeholders if they think it's in the interest of, of shareholders over a long-term perspective. And directors have got plenty of discretion to do that right business judgment rule you know duty of loyalty duty of care all that stuff what the public benefit corporation does is it goes from you may do this to you shall do this you've identified you know the public benefits you want to create is it an environmental issue is it a social issue you're going to maintain full employment you're going to go to zero carbon emissions and then the directors are as obligated for that in terms of the purpose of the corporation, as they would be for financial results, and as we talk about in the piece, um, in a U.S. context, while it may seem crazy, it's actually quite conservative because this isn't some kind of um, European thing where you've got, you know, stakeholders that have rights to be on the board. You know, the people that control the vote is still the shareholders, but shareholders that own these benefits or that, that own, you know, shares in a benefit corporation. They can sue the corporation if they think that it's not, you know, accomplishing these, you know, what these benefits are or reporting on them. And what I love, I mean, what I love about this idea, and I must admit, two years ago, I wasn't there. Two years ago, talking to Rick Alexander's like, OK, guys, look, I've got enough trouble with the statement of purpose and integrated reporting. I'm not going to, you know, stir the hornet's nest by talking about public benefit corporations because I'm not a lawyer and that's too hard. But, you know, no, the world's changed, thought about this some more, read Collins' book. And what I love about this is not only do you have the BRT saying purpose, 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 and we care about all the other stakeholders and blah, 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 blah. You've got the investors doing as well. You've got BlackRock and you've got State Street and, you know, going on the list and the asset owners. And so, you know, this is a way to find out do people really mean it or not. Because the corporation would have to make the decision that it wants to become a public benefit corporation, right? But then it has to get shareholder vote. And I think it's two thirds now. I mean, you would know better than me in Delaware. So I can't wait. Because in a way, this is like, okay, this is finding out if both sides really mean it. With these investors, we really care about stakeholders, it's really important for the corporation, it's really important for you know, value creation of the long term. And it's really important at a system level for what the world looks like, I mean, if the world goes to hell because of climate change and income inequality, and those are the ones that are cited the most, and income inequality is getting dramatically worse under COVID-19, and you know its system-level effects are being felt sooner in all kinds of ways we see. Um, what if a company comes out and says, I'd, "I'd really like to become a public benefit corporation," and all these investors that have been talking about sustainability and purpose and long-termism and stakeholders? What if they vote no, can't wait, okay? And just like integrated reporting, just like statement of purpose, it's always hard to find somebody to go first. You can hide behind an ad in the Wall Street Journal with 100, 180 people you know, that have all signed to some pretty high level thing. Um, so what I'm looking for next, so we've got some examples of statement of purpose, we've got some examples of integrated reporting. I know this is something Susan McCormick has thought a lot about. You know, I want not not some you know kind of California flaky ipsy-dipsy, the kind of companies that you people have out there with IPO. I mean, Amelia, really, I want a real company. I want like <laughs> oil and gas company or financial service firm that's in the Midwest or the East Coast um, to say we'd like to become a public benefit corporation and then have the shareholder vote. And it's like one of those things where it's almost inconceivable, but everything seems inconceivable until it happens. Then it happens, then a few people do it, then it becomes customary. And I really believe, and that's why we wrote this article and the way we end it, the way we do, all, all these things we're dealing with now are their symptoms. They're not the underlying problem. And I think there's no reason to think that the C-Corp structure, which has been around for however long it's been, what makes you think it should be eternal? I mean, the world has changed a lot. Globalism has changed a lot. Interconnectedness has changed a lot. Pandemics are changing a lot. So to really get to the root of the issue, and this is the great contribution we got from Leo, to get at the root of the issue, I think we need to look at what the corporate form is. And so our pitch is, look, start with a statement of purpose. That's your training wheels. That's pretty straightforward. It's a question of will. It's one or two pages. It's not resource intensive. It's not that hard. You know, we find out if you really mean it or not, as I said. Integrated reporting that's a little bit more work. you got to get data from lots of parts of the company You got to learn how to measure all this non-financial stuff and figure out what's material But you know, it's not like sending a man to Mars And then 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 you've laid the groundwork to consider Becoming a public benefit corporation So that's our pitch
0: So uh, we covered a lot of territory there a lot of exciting territory And I do appreciate that the forces are coalescing around um, really structural change in how we view corporate law and the purpose of the corporation. I would like to go back into the weeds a little bit with respect to the integrated report, because I think that's very important. Just to backtrack, step one is articulating corporate purpose. This is something that the board can do. But then the question is, okay, how do we hold the board accountable to that purpose? And that's where your work on integrated reporting comes in and companies currently do not publish integrated reports. It's very rare. I have two questions about that. One, why don't they publish an integrated report? Many have um, very extensive sustainability reports that are uh, you know, filled with data and metrics, and then they have a standalone financial report, and they're very reluctant to issue an integrated report, even though they have sustainability reports that are uh, filled with data and metrics. Why do you think that is?
1: So um, I think it varies a little bit by country. So if you, if you kind of look at integrated reporting on a global basis, <laughs> there's only one country that's mandated, it's South Africa. You know from the johannesburg Stock Exchange, it's kind of complier explained so if you're not doing it kind of please tell us why so there's 400 or so companies on the JSE. they've been doing it for a long time and you know nobody died from producing an integrated report nobody went bankrupt um and i did a study with mike cruz my co-author um on integrated reporting in 10 countries and, and it's interesting because the you know we kind of said give us some of the best integrated reports the best Was South Africa and the Netherlands. It's not required in the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, they're quite good, okay? Um, The worst across the board was the US by quite a lot, and there weren't that many. What was also very bad was Japan, but it's really popular in Japan. I wrote a piece about this in Forbes. So there's, you know, 250 or 300 companies. So integrated reporting is like really popular in Japan. They wanna do it but they're just not doing it very well. So I think there's kind of two, two issues here. One is a good integrated report isn't just kind of like sl- some slimmed down mashup of your financial statements and sustainability report. It requires understanding what these relationships are between the financial and the non-financial issues and what the trade-offs are and you know where they reinforce each other. And SAP does a very good job of articulating that on their website and the website is really where the action is. And so you've got kind of it's a a two cultures then you got the finance people that know how to talk about finance And you got the sustainability people that know how to talk about sustainability And They're both a bit nervous with each other and you know kind of how do you put this stuff together? So You need a process that doesn't exist in a company now because the sustainability report goes over here financial report goes over here. So you need to have this kind of more collective endeavor where What are the material issues? How are we going to measure them? You know, how do we talk about them in the context of financial performance? And, you know, and that's hard. And and CFOs are often resistant. I mean, sometimes they're great supporters, but, you know, they're kind of uncomfortable. And how do you talk about this? And in the U.S., it's the bloody lawyers again. You can't use the term material. You can't put in the 10K. You know, if we start reporting on this stuff, we're going to be sued if we haven't reported on it before. And I think we've had this conversation. You know, you've looked for it. I mean, I, we can't find a single lawsuit from a voluntary disclosure about anything. We can find lawsuits for fraudulent disclosures. So again, I think in a US context, it's like the ideology. We're hiding behind fiduciary duty to not do a statement of purpose, for hiding behind, you know, SEC regulations and you know, the plaintiff's bar to not issue an integrated report. So you don't even have enough people that are trying. You know, Japan is like the counterpart where they really want to do it, but what we're learning about it is that it's really hard, right? Because it requires this, you know no pun intended, the integration of the finance and the sustainability functions. Um, I know of an example that's not in the public domain yet. And this will be a trend where sustainability officer is reporting to the chief finance officer. Interesting. Very interesting, right? And and that makes sense, right? Because if we do the statement of purpose, we do the integrated report. You know, you could, in a US context, you could do the integrated reporting part in the MDNA. You know, it doesn't have to be the tick the box compliance exercise that it's become. You know, the original intention of the MDNA was that this is where management tells the story of the companies through its own eyes. So you do all the income statement, balance sheet stuff, you know, according to GAAP, and that's all cool. Then you could use your MDNA to have it be a lot more substantive than it is today. Um, and and make that your integrated report. And again, there's there's nothing that would preclude a company from doing that.
0: Can you identify one or two integrated reports that you feel do a good job?
1: One of the integrated reports that I'm most enthusiastic about is SAP. Okay, so they're a German company, but they have um, they issue a 20F because they trade here, and they've been doing it for quite a while. As has Nova Nordisk and Phillips and stuff, but what I like about SAP, as I mentioned before, you know, the action is really on the website; it's not the PDF report. So, if you go to the SAP Integrated Reporting website, there will be a page called something like Connectivity. And well, on the on the front page, it'll show you kind of what some of the high level goals are: economic goals, environmental goals, social goals, and how they're related to each other. You know, for every you know Ton of CO2 that they decrease emissions, you know, gross margin goes up every increase in the business health index, which is about the people, gross margins go up. So they've been able to quantify it. And they've got this circle that's got like 13 little circles on it. And there's like four corporate objectives, and two are financial or two are non financial. Then there's, you know, six or seven, whatever the number is, environmental issues, social issues. And you click on each one of these little circles and it goes into the middle of the big circle and then lines come out showing you how they're all connected. I mean, and that's, it's kind of connected thinking, right? Which is then, you know, integrated thinking they like to talk about integrated reporting. And then you can drill down and see the study studies they've done internally academic studies that they cite to why this relationship exists. They tell you how they determine materiality They tell you the degree of assurance that they have on it. Um, Phillips gives you kind of charts and graphs that you can put together. So And there's nothing that SAP has done that other companies, if they wanted to do it, they couldn't. I mean, the model is out there. Now, was SAP's first integrated report that sophisticated? No, but um, but, but it's quite good now. So there's models out there. So just like with statement of purpose, just like with integrated reporting, it's a question of will. There's no legal barriers to doing this. You know, there's no human capability barriers. Maybe you have to build them up a little bit. It's do you want to do it or not? And I think CEO support is important, but then you've got to rally the board. And then, you know, a statement of purpose is kind of hard. And integrated reporting is pretty hard. And converting to a PBC is really hard. Right. Right. It's really hard. So step by step. And that's why, as I said two years ago, I was saying to people, you know, Rick Alexander, please don't talk to me about PBCs. This is like it's hard. I can't even get companies to publish a statement of purpose and it's only one or two pages. But look, I've come around. And, and I think if you're looking at sort of what the business community's role is in society and the challenges that we face and that there's system level issues. So even if something isn't material to a company, you aggregate them all up. I mean, this is what the investment integration project is concerned about. This is what the big universal owner, asset owners, asset managers, GPIF when Hero is the CIO there, um, If the aggregate effect of their portfolio companies is to make the world a bad place from climate change or income inequality or resource scarcity, they can't diversify away from it. Exactly. Right? So they can't get beta. Forget about alpha. You're not chasing alpha anyway when you've got $7 trillion or $4 trillion or whatever it is, right? You need beta, you know, and you need to have long, you've got long-tailed liabilities, right, if you're an asset owner. And so, if you think about it at that system level, probably we we need to th- we need to rethink the corporate form, right? And go from yeah, sure, you can do a lot of these things as a C corp, but you're probably better off if you're a benefit corp, and you commit to do them, and you have to.
0: And I think that the way that you articulate that in the article, and this is similar to how Suze McCormick articulates it, and advocates of uh, corporate form. Um, it's the shall versus may issue. So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do under existing Delaware law that you may do, um, even though many corporate directors um, shy away from that and um, hide behind sort of uh, corporate law. There's wide latitude under the business judgment rule as, as we've discussed. But what the new forms do is they turn that may into a shall.
1: I'll tell you one interesting thing. So, this article just came out yesterday, and this is probably the fastest and most positive response I've gotten to anything I've written in in memory. Although my memory is fading as I get older because I turned 69 on Sunday. But there was like, nobody said, This is a bridge too far. I was with you, Bob, until you got to that public benefit corporation. Then I lost you. That hasn't happened yet. So maybe people haven't read it, or if they don't like it, they don't write. But it's people that I know that not that long ago would have been the same as me and said that we don't really need that. That times have changed a lot. They were changing anyway. And they say, don't waste a good crisis. I mean, it was a crisis that got us accounting standards. It was the stock market crash and the Great Depression. We're rethinking everything now in some fundamental ways because of COVID-19. So if there was ever a time to put all of this to the test, statement of purpose, integrated reporting, public benefit corporation, man, if we can't get that done now, when can we get it done? And if we don't get it done, there won't be another chance to get it done because we're all screwed.
0: (laughs) Well said. So I I do wanna press a little bit about the shell and this is very unusual for me because I think I've, I've argued in favor of corporate form um but do you really think that companies will change the way that they're managed day to day? Won't they just pay lip service to stakeholder interests to comply with the shall, but still manage companies to increase quarterly returns because that's where the business incentives are. So in other words, who cares about the law?
1: I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna tell all my friends that I, that I... A professor of law at Berkeley Law School, you know, went on record and says, who cares about the law? So, you know, that's our secret. I won't say that. No, look, it's it's a fair question. And that's why I think the reporting and the engagement part are really important. As I said, if you just kind of come out with the statement, if you go to the form, like, what are the metrics and what are the targets? You know, what are the targets that you're committing to? Just like people give guidance, I think guidance is sort of silly. What is the benefit that they're trying to achieve? How are they going to measure it? They need to report. You need to have an audit done on that, which is positive assurance, not to get too geeky about it, the same way you have for financial statements, not negative assurance or partial assurance. It's like, yeah, we really scrubbed this hard. So you've got the same quality of data, internal control systems, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you need to have stakeholders and shareholders engage with the company and kind of keep their toes to the fire, right? And what you see in the investment community is engagement stewardship are becoming increasingly important. And if the investment community really believes this, then they will engage with the company as much on the shall part in the benefit thing as they do on kind of what the earnings are gonna be. And they'll kind of lay off, and we can just sort of ignore the sell side for the most part because they just look at the quarter. You know, they'll kind of lay off on the short-term stuff. They'll focus more on, you know, the holistic picture and more long term. But companies, you know, can't do it by themselves. So they're companies that are trying to greenwash it and say, well, we've done this and so, but who cares about the law? Well, you know, it's up to the shareholders who own the shares. They don't own the company, they own the shares and a civil society that ultimately gives companies the license to operate, they need to exercise their agency to make sure that the company is doing what it said it's doing by becoming a PBC.
0: Well, I am very excited to watch this space evolve and to see uh, whether the Business Roundtable um, is going to adopt, you know, let's just start with with step one, articulating corporate purpose. Uh, through a statement signed by the board and uh, thank you so much for your time and for your leadership in um, ESG for more years than you'd like to admit, Bob.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Amelia. Always good talking to you. Have a good weekend. You too.
0: I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.